You're listening to the Body Literacy Podcast, your connection to the art and science of feeling really good body, mind, and spirit. I'm your host and holistic health coach, Jen Mayo. If you've never experienced truth and freedom inside your body, an amazing adventure is about to begin. Healing happens in community. Body literacy is your tribe. Join me in discovering the keys to fearlessly unlocking your body's innate intelligence and resilience. Turn on to the wisdom of your body as we connect your wellness dots by exploring whole person healing from neuroscience and nutrition to sexual health and sleep. Join the wellness revolution and start speaking your body's language. Before we get started, I wanted to introduce you to the most profound and impactful piece of health technology I've encountered in three decades of navigating my own health challenges. LifeWave is a wearable health technology that uses your own light energy to optimize your health. If you've followed the Body Literacy Podcast for any period of time, you likely already know that I'm a bit of a walking science experiment. I have a passion for exploring how time-honored ancient healing arts can be coupled with modern science and technology to optimize our health, wellness, and vitality, and how we can empower ourselves with the knowledge and optimization of our own onboard wisdom and healing potential rather than viewing the human body as a problem to be solved. LifeWave's phototherapy patches use light to stimulate the body's natural healing systems. By applying LifeWave's non-transdermal patches to specific points on the body similar to acupressure, where the patch covers the skin, infrared light emitted from the body is reflected back into the tissue, stimulating specific regions of the brain and tapping into the body's own flow of energy and the ability to heal itself. LifeWave patches are not intended to treat any specific condition or disease, but rather support the body's own innate healing mechanisms. When we take a holistic approach to health and consider there is really only one state of dis-ease in the body imbalance, rather than the 32,000 diseases defined by conventional medicine, rebalancing the body and supporting our own built-in capacity to heal becomes a journey of ease rather than a frustrating and disempowering struggle to control dis-ease. Energy medicine operates by a different set of rules than material medicine. I talk about experience-based medicine a lot, and LifeWave is simply a therapy you have to take for a test drive to feel the benefits for yourself. To learn more or try them out, just visit genmayo.com LifeWave. Continuing with the body literacy series on the role of documentary filmmaking in shifting the medical culture to a patient-empowered model defined by education and self-awareness, Documentary filmmaker, musician, speaker, and writer Jeff Weitzman joins me on this episode. Jeff has authored three albums with his band Jeff Weitzman and the Jealous Housewives and five documentary films in the past five years, including Cancer Can Be Killed. His latest film, Beliefs and Stories, explores the ways emotional and spiritual issues impact disease. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Good morning. At least it's morning over here. Yeah, yeah, we're working on afternoon here, but turning out to be a decent day. It's it's a little bit warmer there, I understand, than it is in Michigan right now. We do. We have nice sun and it's like 70 degrees, so yeah. it's beautiful. Great. Great. Well, I wanted to have you on. I had actually done an interview with you a while back over on the Health Freedom for Humanity podcast, but we had gotten talking about a film that you had recent released called Beliefs and Stories, correct? That's right. 
Great, great. So I wanted to have you on because I ended up watching the film. You showed me where to access it. And I've actually watched it a couple of times now. And you've got some really great interviews in there with a number of doctors. And actually, I was at Defeat the Mandates protest this weekend in Washington, D.C. and ran into one of your interviewees, Dr. Joe Yi. So we had a nice little conversation there about things going on in the world. But as per the the story of beliefs and stories, can you tell us a little bit about how you dreamt up this project and decided to pursue that and, and what sort of the background on that is? Yeah, I actually, let me take you back about five or six years. My wife was diagnosed with cancer. The doctor said, we're going to have to remove your bladder, which is where it was located, followed yeah. by chemo and radiation. We're going to have to cut your vagina in half to make everything fit. And instead, we went to Germany and treated it naturally with focused heat, IV nutrients, and ozone. Mm -hmm. And the cancer was gone in 30 days. And she had five really good years after that. And then the cancer came roaring back and she was dead within three months. Mm -hmm. And we knew as she was dying, because she was doing everything right holistically, nutritionally, mm -hmm. detox wise, we knew that there was an emotional component in her life that was fueling the cancer. And we just couldn't figure out what that was. Right. And so she passed away. And for me, that was my biggest question. And I think for those of us who lose someone very close to us, there's a guilt that we feel yeah. that somehow we contributed to their death. Mm -hmm. And that if we had known better and known more, we could have saved them from dying. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I just, I couldn't live with that feeling. And I said, I have got to come up with some answers. And the first guy I heard, you know, on Instagram that moved me after that was Dr. Tommy John, a chiropractor in San Diego. And Tommy was so generous and gave me his time and would meet, meet with me prior to even filming. And just, we talked it out because Tommy's a big proponent of you know, you heal you. Yep. And there is literally nothing in this world that this quantum machine cannot solve as long as you're in alignment with God and you're willing to do the work. And so that was really my question is, well, what is the work? And what was the work that my wife didn't know about? Mm -hmm. So it started with Tommy John. It went to Dr. Cassie Huckabee. And then I found out about Dr about Dr. Chris Northrup, mm -hmm. who was really the anchor of the film yeah. be because she gave me this piece of the puzzle, which is that emotional trauma later in life creates cellular inflammation, mm -hmm. which then creates a toxicity in the body that is too much to handle. And as Dr. Tom Cowan said in the film, all the trash cans are full. And so now the only thing the body can do is create cancer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you work that back, then the answer is to get rid of the toxicity and, and then to find out a way to live with life, you know, on life's terms. And so what we finally discovered was that if a person's been victimized in childhood, mm -hmm. unless they unhook from that victimization, that's what creates disease. And so the best thing we can all do to be healthy 
is to be unhooked from whatever that driver is of the shame, the victimization, the belief that we're not okay. Okay. And that's where the title of the film comes from, Beliefs and Stories. Yeah. And, 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 and Cassie Huckabee said, we all have a story, mm-hmm. but it's our belief about that story that changes everything. Right. And you had mentioned, you said we had an awareness that there was an emotional component to your wife's cancer journey. She personally had a, a connection and an understanding that there was something underlying there that wasn't just physical in her body. She knew it. She knew it. And she had even been in therapy. You know, she did a lot of work. She was in a 12 step program, Mm -hmm. but, and that's where it was confusing, Jen, because we were like, well, you're doing all the right stuff. Yeah. How can you be dying when you're doing, but, but there's a difference in people that go into 12 steps or therapy in terms of their willingness to go to the depths, to reveal it all. Mm-hmm. Or just to try to smooth over the water so that you can kind of keep your boat afloat. Right. Like that, that's not going to do it. You got to get in the submarine and you right. got to go to the basement bottom floor of the ocean and then come back up. Right. So that's what right. we learned. And there's the expression, you have to feel it in order to heal it. Yeah. And I think some people go through that journey with an awareness, but they don't necessarily get to the depths of really feeling what that was. Yeah. Well, I, I'm certainly sorry about your your wife's cancer outcome. Obviously, it's it's a journey and it's a learning opportunity no matter which direction it goes. And I know certainly in my own life experience, I've I've ended up feeling grateful for the challenges that I've been presented with because it's always offered the opportunity to to grow and come out the other side in a much more whole way. Do you have sort of your own personal experiences that have kind of led you to those conclusions in your own life beyond what what your wife's experience was? Yeah, you know, we were both, my wife and I were both sexually abused as Mm -hmm. children. And that's one of the reasons we came together is that mutual desire to work through that and overcome it. Yeah. And we chose two different paths. Her path was, I'm just going to be a really good person, work really hard. I'm not going to talk about my abuse. I'm going to please everybody around me and not ruffle feathers. Yeah. And and my answer was, oh no, I'm I'm not only going to ruffle feathers, I'm going to tear down every house in this world <laughs> right, that, right. that that pretends that they're being good to children when they're killing children, which the medical community is famous for killing children. And that's something that we don't talk much. We haven't talked about in society. Thank God we're talking about it now. Right. And as all the measures of tyranny come down and the oppression telling children what they have to do, it's, it's really heartening for me to see the response on a massive global scale of people saying enough, no more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my response was different. My response was I'm out and I'm proud. And that gave me, you know, I'm finding the pathway to God is standing up for yourself and standing up for yourself means, you know, I will not allow this in my space anymore. And I just want to add, Jen, that my wife leveled up fully Mm -hmm. on her final month of her life and her mantra was so beautiful. She said, my new mantra is F all y'all. This is my life. 
And if you have a problem with it, deal with it. Yeah. And, and the way that would work itself out is, you know, she took the end of life cocktail to die uh, on her own terms because mm-hmm. she was in so much pain. Yeah. And her sister about a week or two before that called her on the phone and said, you know, if you take the end of life cocktail, you're going to go to hell. And I watched her listen to that and say, so-and-so, I love you very much. Thank you for calling. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Click. Yeah. I mean, talk about being leveled up. Right. In moment, being able to respond without defensiveness. Right. And to be able to say, nope, that's not who I am. And I'm going to go now. Yeah. I just mind blowing to watch that. Right. So we kind of both got to the same place by the end of her life. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that was quite a transition from her. If she had come from stuffing and, and hiding those emotions to just being fully present with them. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't stuffing anymore. She was being fully present with them. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I had kind of talked about this before. Do you think there's kind of a cultural male, female dynamic in that where you kind of described how she kind of kept herself busy just to kind of suppress those things that, that were trying to bubble up versus your approach, which was to just maybe too aggressively take it head on and have, have some more expressed anger about it. That's a really good question. Cause I see men doing the same thing that yeah. she did. Right. I really don't know if it's uh, related to the sexes because it just seems universal that yeah. people have a very hard time fighting back against the brut- brutal nature of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think there's a component of covertness in the medical culture where we've just come to accept certain acts and procedures as being normal as medical procedures versus encompassing this more patient education dynamic that I think we're starting to see come through in more functional and naturopathic and transpersonal psychology areas of creating the shift in medicine. Do you think there's more to come? I think especially I see this more, you know, in terms, I'm going to use the term medical violence here, and some people might find that offensive, but I think especially when we look at pediatrics and gynecology in particular, there are just so many procedures that have become normalized that I I really don't think are appropriate and create this disempowered aspect of teaching people how their bodies work so that they can lead their own healing and that they can lead their own diagnoses to some degree and partner with doctors and healthcare providers, but not, not completely outsourcing their own wellness to those authority figures, if you will. Yeah. And, and I mean, the case in point for me is after I made my film, Cancer Can Be Killed, which went into all of the ways natural treatment was working effectively, parents started coming to me and saying, hey, my child's in remission from cancer. Why are they being forced into two to four years of chemo? Right. And there's no attorney, no doctor in the country that will do anything different. And that's where you get the indicate the, the, the clarity that oh my God, we, we have no freedom to treat our children as we want to. And there is a bullying that goes on. And 
what we're finding is that cancer for these children, at least because their immune systems are so strong, it's very treatable after mm -hmm. remission. And we don't have to throw them in two to four years of chemo. And, you know, when we go back, the, so in one case, the doctor called child protective services said to these, you know, take this child from these parents. See, the, the family met CPS at the door and gave them the data and says, this is what happens to children who do long-term chemo. They die or they suffer the side effects for life. And CPS actually agreed with the parents against the doctors and said, okay, you parents have the freedom to do this how you want to. Yeah. And, and for me, that was so encouraging because it was like, wow, we're finally calling a spade a spade. And there are people out there who want to, who want to hear it. Right. Right. And I think we're seeing a lot more things come to the surface in terms of the relationship between legality and the medical industry. And certainly, you know, I think we've, we've had this longstanding understanding that doctors are subject to a lot of liability, but I don't think we, I don't think it's really been as obvious until more recent times, how shaped the medical culture is by the legal measures involved and how care is shaped by doctors' fear of legal recourse. And I think there's a lot to be explored in the more natural healing community that maybe doesn't have that same level of fear that exists in the more corporate hospital system. Do you think the corporatization of medicine is really the bigger problem that we're dealing with in terms of really embracing a more holistic model of care? Yeah, the corporatization, not only of the hospital system, but also the educational system, yeah. right? Because these guys don't get to go to medical school and learn what's possible. Right. They learn what the pharmaceutical tell, industry tells them is possible. Right. And so the beauty right now of this new earth we're creating and what's transforming in the world is we're now saying we want medical doctors to be medical doctors, not to be victims of some training from pharmaceutical companies telling them what they can or cannot be. I mean, it's just wonderful, the freedom that everybody's getting right now. And, you know, a lot of people may say, well, I don't have that freedom. And it's like, yeah, I know we have to search for it. We have to go out there and look for these doctors actually willing to, they know to be true rather than what they're told. And we can find them. And once we do, we can heal from anything. Yeah. And in my experience, it's usually the doctors who have left the corporate hospital conglomerates and are practicing independently that have that freedom to do that. And I, I recently learned of a doctor who left a local hospital system because he was being asked to, to participate in a program that he didn't want to participate in. And he was having his ability to have genuine relationships with his, his patients restricted. So he ended up leaving to go. I'm not sure if he's working independently or if he's in a different hospital system now, but certainly the one he was in was not allowing him to honor the doctor patient relationship. Do you think we're going to see more of that? Cause I feel like there are more doctors waking up to the fact that if they're existing inside of one of these corporate systems, they're really, they're really serving as employees, not as independent doctors. I think what you're asking is, is there's a difference between the system and there's a difference between independent doctors. Exactly. I mean, when I interviewed the America's frontline doctors recently for some of their projects, 
they were saying that, you know, early treatment for COVID is possible, Mm -hmm. that we don't have to put people in the hospital system. And that the problem with the hospital system is that they're being directed on what to do, not by doctors, but by a health department that is a political entity. Mm-hmm. Like it's what you, what you get when you go to a hospital is political people telling you what to do because this is what makes money and it's the way our government runs, which is a corporation. Yeah. So now doctors are coming out in droves and saying, do not go to the hospital it's a death chamber. It's the right. new, some people are saying as much as it's the new gas chambers from Auschwitz, you know, but, but I'll just say it, it's just a flawed system right. that, that right. you can't get any independent knowledge from. And so, yeah, there are, there are clinics, there are individual, there are surgical centers, there are places we can go now where we can completely leave the hospital system. Right. Right. And that was certainly my own experience, my father died actually about a year before COVID started in a hospital ICU. And I had sort of this kind of grand awakening as I witnessed the doctors and how they interacted with each other, with administrators, with the nurses, with their team of medical students that would follow them around. And I think one of the most telling things that I saw in in that transaction there is a, I was the only person there who was willing to challenge the attending physician in in many of those meetings. And the team of residents and medical students that came in to round with him every morning, because it was a teaching hospital, they were in awe. It was almost like they didn't know they were allowed to ask questions of an authority figure. So when they saw me, you know, a patient advocate in that role doing that, I I don't even think they knew what to do with that. So I think that's part of the biggest paradigm shift that needs to happen, particularly going back to the educational system, as you said, is creating educational structures that are really, really encouraging critical thinking and asking questions. Because I think, especially in the field, in the sciences, if we've lost our ability to have a tremendous amount of curiosity and always challenge the status quo, then we really aren't operating under a scientific paradigm at all. Well, I want to add, Jen, that if we take away our individual ability to heal ourselves, mm-hmm. we, we completely miss the point. So I think all of us have the opportunity now to go down the rabbit hole. We didn't used to because the knowledge wasn't available, but now it is. It's all over the internet. It's on podcasts like yours. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to go down the rabbit hole and find out what real health is. Yeah. And we can even ask the questions about our specific issues. Mm-hmm. Like if a person has a bloating problem, and they're just not their digestions off. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard this one doctor recently say, it is okay for you to digest life. Like it, it the, the, the metaphor is that what this person really is struggling with digestion. So it's manifesting in the gut yeah. and the gut is bloating. And once yeah. the person accepts that I have permission to digest life exactly as it is mm-hmm. now, the digestion sort of solves itself. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Back to sort of the the cancer that you're talking about earlier, and you had mentioned sort of this description that Dr. Tom Cowan 
made. And I, I loved that in the film where he talks about cancer really being like these little garbage cans in the body, where when we change the dynamic of what we think about the word cancer, and I think we've given that word itself entirely too much power and its ability to alchemize just from the fear associated with it into something much bigger than what it necessarily needs to be. But when he talked about cancer being these compartments of toxicity, basically that the body is so freaking intelligent that it can create these little containers of toxicity so that we're not constantly poisoning the entire organism that Mm -hmm. really resonated with me. And I think if more people looked at cancer and the word cancer through that lens, it changes the dynamic completely. So from that perspective, do you think cancer and even other chronic ailments are static or or dynamic? Is it a fluid thing that comes in and out? Or is it once you have it, you become this label? It's amazing because we see so many people, I work with so many cancer patients and we see these people that are living with stage four cancer for a really long time Mm -hmm. because they have put themselves in a place where they're at peace with life, they're loving life, and they're removing themselves from the source of the things that cause them stress. Mm -hmm. And so you'll even see people that have cancer that go into remission, it comes back, remission comes back. And that to me indicates that it is dynamic. Mm -hmm. It's always changing. And that we can actually, you know, solve this crisis, not through old methods of go to a doctor, get treated, be better, but realizing that this is a body, mind, spirit problem. Let's access everything we are to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately the number one paradigm for healing for cancer patients is it goes back to their attitude and their willingness and a willingness to, to sort of feel everything and a willingness to let go of the things that used to work for them and find something new. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about root cause healing and how it differs from symptom management or this more superficial physiological treatments that we see more in allopathy? And how do you think that ultimately impacted your wife's healing process, both the first time and the second time it came back? Yeah. And when you say root cause healing, what do you think of? I think of going to the source of whatever created the initial toxicity. So when I think of just healing in general, uh, especially compared to, to treat the, the term treatment versus healing, again, kind of like what you were saying earlier with, you know, childhood experiences. And we know a lot more from the ACEs study, um, the adverse childhood experiences study that, that really shows more empirically that experiences that started in childhood manifest as disease much later in life. And, you know, and I think of everything in terms of toxicity. So I think of that as the initial spark and everything that we pour on top of it is just gasoline that fuels that very small, that what may have started out as a very small spark. So the toxic food we eat, the toxic chemicals we're exposed to, the toxic relationships that we develop, just anything that could either physically physically be a a, a chemical toxin in our world or something that alchemically shifts via energy or emotions or thoughts into that chemistry in our body. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in terms of root, my own root cause healing, mm-hmm. 
I go back to, because I've worked through some medical issues since then, and like the main drivers of my emotional issues, which are a feeling that I, I'm not safe, mm-hmm. I'm going to be attacked, and now I need to, like a cat, push up my back to make myself look bigger, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And it's, it's not okay to just wake up every day and be at peace, Mm-hmm. and be happy and content and connected to God or whatever. Yeah. You know, I wake up every day with, oh my God, we are in danger and we've either got to run for the hills or we've got to put on all the armor and get ready to fight. Mm-hmm. And the process for me to work with that root cause is to look at the illusion of the whole thing, to step out of it and to actively pursue what it feels like to be at peace, mm-hmm. to be connected to the universe, to be happy, to be in love, to be having fun mm-hmm. and to get away from the fight. Whenever I get into fight, cause that's, that's, that's it. Fight or flight. Yeah. Whenever I get into fight and I am a good brawler, you know, I am so good that I, the, the illusion is, well, you're a good brawler. Keep brawling, brawl your way out of it. And that'll never, it'll never work. I can't brawl enough to get right, out of it. Right. So I've gotten very clear on my root cause. Her, my wife's understanding of root cause healing was, yeah, I was sexually abused as a kid. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to express it as a kid. And now I don't want to make waves. I don't want to hurt anybody. So I'm not really going to talk about it. So there was, there was a little bit of knowledge of the root cause, but there Mm -hmm. wasn't enough action to be able to combat it. And yeah, you, in my experience, you can't mess around with the action part of it. Like you gotta be, I, I had to be willing to really admit powerlessness, almost like an alcoholic and say, I am powerless over my desire to brawl every day and to run for the hills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bzz, bzz, bzz. Sorry for the brief interruption, but I had to tell you about one of my go-to super immune boosting favorite natural remedies that is my first line of defense when I start to feel myself coming down with something, which isn't very often anymore since I started listening whenever my body's telling me something. But Beekeepers Naturals is an incredible company dedicated to not only bringing you cleaner natural alternatives to the traditional medicines in your medicine cabinet, but Beekeepers Naturals sources the highest quality humane ingredients for bee-powered immune-boosting natural remedies and superfood products to keep you operating at your best. I keep the Bee Immune Throat Spray in particular handy anytime I feel a tiny tickle in my throat warning me that I might be coming down with something. Powered by an incredible ingredient called Bee Propolis, this all-star ingredient contains antioxidants and other immune-boosting compounds in a convenient spray. Head on over to Jen's Favorite Things link at jenmayo.com and use coupon code GENMAYO for 15% off of your purchase. And I think there's a, a parallel there too of compartmentalizing the emotional stuff, which, which certainly is the same type of protective measure that maybe cancer is in a more physical way, but that somehow eventually translates into the 
physical compartmentalization of toxicity in the tissues of the body. And what, what's the expression if, if you can't look, look to the, look to the tissues, if you're trying to deal with the issues that there's always that, there's always that component of, of underlying stuff that needs to be worked on. That's not purely physical. And I know one thing when my father was, was passing in the hospital, I had a, a lovely conversation with one of the nurses there. And I will say, one very positive thing about what I've I've witnessed in in the hospital system is the nurses really are the backbone of everything good that is going on mm-hmm. there, largely because they provide so much emotional support. The doctors are kind of more embedded in the physical aspects of what's going on, whereas the nurses may be tending to physical things, but they really are the emotional support system of the hospital and of the patient patient healing there. So I, I had this lovely conversation with a nurse there after a conversation I had had with one of the attending physicians where she said, you know, everything you just said about Eastern and alternative modalities of healing was spot on, but Eastern and Western medicine are just having trouble coming together and shaking hands. Like we're seeing more progress in that respect over in Europe. Like you said, that's kind of where you ended up heading with your, with your wife, but here in the United States, for some reason, we're having a hard time with getting those two philosophies to come together and create something really much bigger and more beautiful that has a lot of potential for healing. Yeah. Europe is fascinating because they allow both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. They allow Western medicine while allowing other healing modalities. The interesting thing is insurance still won't pay for healing modalities. It's just fascinating how bad our system is to somehow let an insurance company dictate what kind of healing you get uh, that blow your mind. Yeah. And I, and I talk a lot about my own personal journey and how losing my health insurance was actually the, the aha moment that I had. And I really needed because it allowed me to see, so I lost my health insurance when I went through a divorce briefly for a few months and then regained some basic coverage after that. But in that few month period, I had this sort of, it was almost like an Alice in Wonderland moment Mm -hmm. um, where I had been in this tiny little container that the insurance companies told me that I, I could use for my treatment and healing. But as soon as I lost my insurance and I was personally responsible for paying for any kind of treatment that I wanted to use, there was this great big world outside of that tiny box that the insurance company had given me that I realized had the potential for like what we were saying about root cause healing to explore and to really find the nuances of my own particular case, rather than being a statistic in this insurance box of here's what we say works and what we're we're going to give you permission to use. And I think the concept of permission is really at the heart of not just medicine right now, but pretty much everything we're seeing in the world, in business, in industry, in education, where do we source our permission? And I think that was kind of my big aha moment with the insurance company was I've spent decades waiting for somebody to give me permission to heal. And now I've got this pivotal moment 
where they're not part of the equation, that I get to give myself the permission and go on that journey on my, my, on my own and find out what that really means to give myself permission to live inside of my own body. Amen to the permission. And it's so amazing that we have to give ourselves permission. Right. Because it's not going to come. And it's for all my life, Jen, I, I looked outside myself for answers mm-hmm. and I blamed others for me not having what I wanted. And I never made the connection that it was me that was either giving myself permission for stuff or me that's able to allow stuff into my life that's healing. I I thought it was up to other people. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing you're mentioning there. And and the other issue, you know, you know, is so many of us have so much shame around who we are And that's been created from something or a number of things that happened where we were never acknowledged really as children for who we were. We were taught to be these, you know, whatever human beings that they parental figures wanted us to be. Mm -hmm. And so there's a shame about who we really are. So if you're feeling tons of shame, how do you give permission to a shamed individual to be who they are? Because you're just like, well, I'm not going to give permission to that guy. He's full of shame. Mm-hmm. So that's another big piece of the puzzle for me is coming out of shame to realize, oh no, that's just what I learned about myself, but that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Do you think pain can be a catalyst for healing? I, I think it always is. And failure is a catalyst for healing. Mm-hmm. My deepest successes have come after my deepest failures. I had tremendous stuff going on with mask mandates where I was able to literally walk into any store I wanted to that had a mask mandate and not wear mask. And so I found this calm, loving energy and using the law that I was able to take care of business. And that was sort of a new revelation for me that I really could reverse Mm -hmm. the sort of craziness, the crazy ideas that mankind come up with to control us space if you have no power over me man you talk that i think that's a big healing thing because you're no longer nobody's controlling you and then you're free mm-hmm. absolutely i think we're kind of seeing a resurgence of this concept of shamanic healing to at least in in the more alternative circles of medicine and there's the concept there, and I think Dr. Northrup in the film talked about it a little bit. She's such a gift mm-hmm. to the world of medicine mm-hmm. where there has to be a certain element of somebody healing themselves before they can help others heal themselves too. And maybe we're seeing it more specifically in the world of plant medicines and, and psychedelics and, and those kinds of healing journeys. But I think even within the health coaching community and anything that kind of falls out the outside of the traditional allopathic medical system, we are definitely seeing a, a much bigger trend of people who have gone on their own healing journeys and discovered what really works either in a functional or more root cause level kind of way and are using that as the energy to go help others heal themselves rather than trying to, I don't even like the term healer. Like I I see that a lot Mm. in alternative communities, people calling themselves healers. And I understand the the premise of it, but nobody heal. I think it implies that 
I'm doing something to you that's going to make you heal. And going Mm. back to the, you're the only person who can heal you sort of idea. I think sort of this resurgence of shamanic healing is kind of gaining some, some momentum, particularly at the level of involving the psyche and the spirit in the process of healing. Yeah. And and Chris does an amazing job of describing all the different ways the healing can happen. And and there is this rabbit hole that an individual can go down that Chris talks about a number of the rabbit holes, whether they be processing emotions or whether they be, she's mostly an emotional processor Mm -hmm. person. Cassie Huckabee in the film was the quantum machine that she talked about of being able to negate an input or allow an input. Mm-hmm. And, but yeah, but Chris, she's so good at talking about the inner child. You know, her first reaction to the inner child was, oh, please, can we not do this? People would bring their stuffed animals to work. <laughs> but, but then she, she had her own experience where someone told her, oh no, she was thanking somebody and saying, thank you for what you did for me. And the facilitator of this group situation said, Chris, I want you to go in the center of the room now. And I want you to, there's something going on with you right now. And, and the, he, this person said, what did that person give you in that moment? And Chris said, she gave me permission to be just to, to be tired, yeah. to not be on top of everything all the time. Cause she had been taught all her life. Don't pray for getting things, pray for a stronger back. You know, and, and, and and so when this facilitator put her in the center of the room and said, you have permission to be as tired as you are, Mm -hmm. you don't have to have that strong back. She just, she said she cried for what seemed like hours, Mm -hmm. just letting out all that emotion of, I don't have to be this super woman. I, I can be tired. I can take care of myself, you know, where I'm at right now. Yeah. And and Dr. Cowan, Dr. Tom Cowan in the film, he had a, a number of great sound bites in there, including the, the garbage can analogy. But he specifically said there are no incurable diseases. There's there are only incurable people. I think there's probably some people who would find that offensive. But I think, and chime in here, do you feel like do you feel like that changes the the dynamic if if we're not thinking of the disease as being curable or incurable, but really going to the root of ourselves and figuring what is it about why I've not been able to achieve certain healing goals that I've had for myself or whoever has had for themselves. Yeah. I mean, I love how simple Tom Cowan makes it right. He's like, it's really just nutrition, sunshine, exercise, your body is a regenerating detoxifying machine. Just let it do its thing. Mm -hmm. And as long as you give it good water and good food, it's going to regenerate and Mm -hmm. detoxify. So yeah, Tom really simplifies it. And, you know, Tom brings it back to the attitude as well, Mm -hmm. that, that healing and health is about an attitude. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not getting caught up in looking for some guru or healer Mm -hmm. to do anything. It's, having the willingness to just sort of simplify it all and take care of oneself. Right. Right. And there's a, 
There's a quote that I I had heard from another doctor a, a long time ago that goes something like you can't towel off while you're standing in the shower. And I think there are so many allopathic principles that we're always looking to add something to the body to treat or cure it versus looking at what we need to remove from it. And as long as you're not removing the toxic elements that are already there and continually adding to it, you're never going to get anywhere by adding some sort of healing modality to it. Oh my God. Is that true? And that was my experience with my wife, Carrie, is we kept adding more and more healing modalities. And what that actually did was it distracted us from the Mm -hmm. real work we needed to do, which was the emotional work. Mm -hmm. And, and then really to treat it, you could be as simple as what Cowan was saying. And, and sometimes I get nervous when people say, say, oh, I'm going to treat my cancer with a balance of Western and Eastern practices. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is nowhere in there is the, the mind, body, spirit connection. There's only, it's all, it's just modalities, like you mm-hmm. say, healing modalities. And so, yeah, the big re- revelation of the film Beliefs and Stories is that rather than doing a balance of Western and Eastern, how about a balance of body, mind, spirit? and healing modalities. Right. Right. And I've heard the expression, I'm going to use it all the time now, because I love it, that the, the East teaches us how to experience life and the West teaches us how to quantify it. And I think there's been too much emphasis, particularly in the last century on needing to quantify everything Mm. and, and needing to have proof of our, of the experience in our, our bodies. And I'm, I mean, I love, I love the idea of, of we medicine of, of combining Western and Eastern medicine. And I think it's really interesting how there are organizations now dedicated to quantifying how things like yoga work or, you know, just different things that we're, we've maybe not, we've not bothered with necessarily having to quantify them in the past, but maybe that's the tool for some people that helps bring them into understanding experiential healing versus quantifiable healing, I suppose, to some extent. You had Dr. Kelly Brogan in the, in the film as well. And she kind of talks about this concept of the dark night of the soul and how so many of the patients she works with tend to be in their thirties and forties. And I kind of relate this to the, you know, the term, the, the midlife crisis, which when I was younger, I thought the midlife crisis was completely bogus. It was just, you know, some excuse men made up to leave their wives for younger women and buy sports cars. But then I got to be in my late thirties and realized, wow, this is an actual thing. Why do you suppose, or what, or what, what reasons did she give for why that tends to be a very common age range that people kind of go through this, what she called the dark night of the soul? Yeah, the dark, I mean, the problem with turning 49 or 50 is it's an end of something. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're getting to 50, we sense it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we start to, to feel kind of depressed because we realize well, that isn't going to need to let go to something else. Mm-hmm. And Kelly's very cerebral about the way she describes the whole thing, but she's also very clear on what pathways don't work. Mm-hmm. 
And as she worked with Ali Zek to help her with her being on psych meds for so long, is she started right off with, Ali, you're not crazy. You're just feeling feelings. Mm-hmm. And p- you've been gaslit. And people are telling you what's true that isn't actually true. Mm-hmm. And she goes, let's get you good nutrition. Let's have a baseline of you're not crazy. Mm-hmm. And let's just proceed with life this way and see what happens. And Allie recovered. And Allie went through that dark night of the soul for her of detoxing from mm-hmm. those psych meds she had been given. So I, I would ask Kelly, Kelly, can, can 24-year-old kids who've been on psych meds all their lives, can they get off them? And she's like, yes, anybody can. But again, they have to be willing to go through that dark night of the soul because there's no healing without, like I said, taking the submarine, going to the bottom of the ocean and then coming back up. Right. So yeah, if I learned anything from Kelly through that whole thing, it's just watching how she dealt with Ali Zek mm-hmm. and watching how she deals with all of her sort of people that are recovering from psych meds which is to tell them, this is going to be tough. This is going to be gnarly. We got no easy fixes here, Mm -hmm. but if you're willing to go through it, you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there are some challenges that are unique to men in their own healing processes? Cause I feel like there's kind of this larger cultural dynamic where men haven't been going back to the, the permission concept where men haven't been given permission and, and sort of our broader cultural landscape to have ownership or take ownership of their feelings and express feelings openly. What, what are your thoughts on some cultural shifts happening, you know, with regards to masculinity and what that really means for men to be able to show up in, in their full wholeness and not just, yeah. not just with healing, but with anything. Yeah, man, there, there it's, it's traditionally been hard for men to let go of their egos because their egos protected them. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a whole new wave of men right now. Mm-hmm. We just had a, a beach event where we did a walking meditation with Dr. Christiane Northrup here in San Diego. And then she spoke to us for about 30 to 45 minutes. And the men that I met at that event were so transparent, so honest, so willing to give to their families to not be hung up with some noose around their neck about a label of having to be a doctor or a lawyer or somebody respectable. Like they could care less about what people thought about them, about their stance in society. Like they were all about the freedom and love and community. And I'm just blown away by this new man I'm seeing out there. I think the thing I've brought to the table is this kind of a transparency, an emotional transparency that people are very attracted to that I I'm willing to feel whatever my feelings are. But I I think that's really hard for a lot of men. And I go back to that idea of shame of, I don't, I guess all men and women have the problem, but men seem to have this particular shame Mm -hmm. that they are just not allowed to be vulnerable. And so that's our, I think that's our biggest hang up. And, you know, it's exciting when you meet other men that they don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be vulnerable. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about safety being the root of our disease or, or our wellness I and mean, just having a sense of safety and there being an environment where people can feel like they are mm-hmm. safe 
to mm. be vulnerable with others, at least in the in the right group. How do you think disease is showing up in a, a broader sense across our cultural landscape? Oh, wow. I mean, that's it's changing so rapidly. But the disease for me has been that I've seen is that people longer enslaved and they want freedom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's this cultural disease of do what I say. I know what's best for you. Mm -hmm. People going along with that, co-signing on that. Well, if you take care of me, I will go ahead and do what you want me to do. And the reverse of that disease is people saying, I'm no longer going to be a part of that bargain. You know, I'm not going to let you define who I am. I'm not going to be passive anymore. I'm not going to be passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to say what defines me. I'm going to be willing to be in that place of being naked alone in the universe. And I don't know if this is going to work out, but I don't care because I have faith in God. And I know that that connection is going to produce fruit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's the disease I get is that disease of being disconnected. Disconnection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The closing song in the movie, I really, I actually went back and just watched the closing credits several times because it was, it was so poignant to me. Let me see if I can get this right. The lyrics go something like this. Maybe the breakdown is the only thing that can save you. Maybe the break, maybe the breakdown is the only thing left to do. Maybe the breakdown is the only thing that can heal you. Can you expand on a, why you obviously chose that song for the closing credits and maybe elaborate a little bit more on what the breakdown has to offer us? Yeah, first of all, a little backstory. There was actually another song by another band I wanted to close out the film. Mm-hmm. And in typical fashion, God would not allow us to license okay. that song. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then my, my my songwriting, my actually song producing partner, Evan Frankfurt here in California, had just done a new album that I got late in the process And I heard that song and I was like in tears listening to that song because who wants to go through a breakdown? You know, who wants to dive down into that place of feeling just how horrible Mm -hmm. we feel about whatever in our life? And, you know, like I've said, the magic in life comes when we say, no, I'm not going to be victimized anymore. I'm not going to allow this stuff in my life. And and then the, you know, my greatest successes have come after my greatest failures. And that failure also means the feeling of being a failure, of allowing ourselves to be broken down and say, wow, I'm not in control. I don't know what I'm doing. I have caused somebody else pain, or I have allowed myself to be victimized. Man, that breakdown is the beginning of then this new relationship with God and other people in the universe. And it's just crazy that you, mm-hmm. you can't get the new alignment without first going through the breakdown. Mm-hmm. And, there, and there's an element of us allowing that breakdown, of us being willing to go into our tears and feel the depth of how much something hurts. So, what a, you know, it's an upbeat song. It's like, maybe the breakdown is the only thing that can save us. It's so happy. Mm-hmm. But, but <laughs> oh, God, there's so much rich pain in that too. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you, man. I love that so much. 
Yeah, no, it was a great choice. I'm glad the other song didn't work out. So right, right. How do you think documentary filmmaking is changing the dynamic of of patient empowered healing? Oh man, I think we need to see it in action. Mm-hmm. After my wife got healed of cancer, we had some friends who this woman had breast cancer, and we sat down at dinner and told them everything we did. And a week later, they went to the hospital. This woman had both her breasts cut off and got chemotherapy for the next year. Mm-hmm. And that that experience for me was so shocking. I realized a picture is worth a thousand words mm-hmm. and us sitting around and talking to people isn't going to change anything. When a person watches a documentary film, they go to, into a different state of mind where they are now receiving information they wouldn't normally receive. Because when they're sitting with you at dinner, they get defensive. Mm-hmm. When they're watching a documentary film, they now feel the permission to go with you on the journey Mm -hmm. and they get to see and learn something that they wouldn't be able to see and learn any other way, you know, and feel something. And all of a sudden the magic happens. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a documentary filmmaker, what I'm always trying to do is get the participant to feel something real. I don't want to tell them anything. I'm not mansplaining anything. Yeah. I'm providing an environment for them to discover something. And, th- and that's what documentaries can do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know at um, the retreats that I run, I've had the opportunity to show a few, a few um, more root cause type healing documentaries and the response that I've gotten a, these are, are women who never would have probably stumbled across these particular films and the response has been amazing. And it's opened up dialogues that I don't think would have kind of like you were saying, if it it was at the dinner table, it probably wouldn't happen. And seeing it in the context of hearing other people's stories, it resonates in a way that that's not possible in, in sort of a dialogue kind of, of setting, particularly with a, a healthcare provider or somebody who's, who's not able to empathize with your particular situation directly. So I got a lot out of the film. I really appreciate that you put your heart and soul into, into producing it. And I'm excited to see what else you come up with in the future. And I'm very excited. This was kind of this interview was part of a series I've done on on documentary filmmakers and their role in, in creating patient education and empowered healing. So thank you for your contribution to that and certainly looking forward to exploring that more. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners that you think might be important for them on their own healing journeys? Yeah, I think that what's going on in the world right now is the very thing we all need to get to the level we want to get to. And there's a spiritual thing that's happening right now where we're all being pushed to new levels of letting go of, of also creating something for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, want to let everybody know that this is all okay. Like it's, we don't have to get depressed. I mean, it's okay if people do, but we don't have to get depressed and and feel like, Oh God, the world is coming to an end. No, actually we're building something new. That's even better. So it's so hard to have faith that this is all working out for something good. Mm -hmm. But if we can start to to look at life instead of this storm that's coming at us and look at it as everything's connected. Mm -hmm. And at any moment we can learn from anything and not say, 
why did my washing machine break down today? We can go, oh, wow. We can be curious and be like, wow, the washing machine broke down today. I wonder why, what am I going to learn from this? And then we go to the store to buy the new washing machine and we meet somebody there. And then that conversation produces something. So that's what I, I just want everybody to be with is that, you know, keep the curiosity up, keep the belief. We're not in the apocalypse right now. Right. We're in a new, a new generation, a new thing that's happening. Yeah. And I, I like to think of it in terms of growing pains. Growth is never comfortable. It's not supposed to be comfortable. And I think, you know, there's always a, a breakdown of, of existing systems or dynamics or, or whatever that leads the way to a rebirth. Or, you know, if we think of it as seasons of time, you know, we have to go through the winter in order to get to the fresh growth of the spring. And I think that's where we're at now, especially with some changes we've seen at this particular juncture of, of time in the world situation. And I have to check in with myself sometimes because it gets frustrating or depressing, like you said, but I really do think that we are moving into a beautiful, expansive place where people are going to be able to embrace lifestyles as their medicine. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a whole new concept of medicine, right? Definitely. Definitely. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Is there some place that our listeners can go to find out more about your work in the film? Yes. JWfilms.org. Okay. And yeah, www.jwfilms.org. Okay, great. We will do that. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Jen. Great to talk with you. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Any statements and views expressed by myself or my guests are not medical advice. The opinions of guests are their own and the Body Literacy Podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. If you have a medical problem, please consult a qualified and competent medical professional. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Body Literacy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and sign up for updates over at genmayo.com. 